0: Hello! Welcome to Eyes for Ears, your
1: ophthalmology OCAPs and board review podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Please keep in mind that this podcast is meant for medical education only, not to diagnose that weird thing on your eye. We're ophthalmology residents who figure that reviewing
0: for boards, the clinic, or OCAPs is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week we review a
1: high yield topic and discuss the why and the how. This week we're going to be talking about ocular syphilis. As you know, syphilis is a chronic multi-system infection originating from the organism Treponema pallidum. It's one of the great masqueraders of medicine, and pretty much if you try to look for it in the BCSC, it'll pop up in almost every chapter of every book, especially on the differential diagnoses parts of. You have to make sure that your patient doesn't have it, though, particularly when when you're thinking about starting any kind of steroid treatment.
0: So Right, so anytime you have a patient that has inflammatory ocular disease, think about syphilis, as we'll review in this episode. Um, Before we get into ocular syphilis, we should review the stages of systemic syphilis. To help us do that, we brought on the hosts of the podcast Creogs Over Coffee, and ob Guyne board review podcast. So thanks, Faye Kai and Nick Burns of Brown University and Creogs Over Coffee for coming on.
2: Yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, thanks, Ben, for having us. So what, what syphilis do?
3: What do syphilis? (laughs) (laughs) That's an excellent question. Um, No, syphilis, as you said, like has multiple different stages. So Faye and I will just quickly go ahead and review those. To start, primary syphilis is rarely seen, truthfully, um, because it's the presence of one or more painless chancres, usually at the site of exposure. This generally happens within three weeks of infection, um, and truthfully, these often heal on their own without treatment, though this is a very, very infectious stage of syphilis.
2: We can then move on to secondary syphilis, which can manifest as mucocutaneous lesions like rashes. Remember that syphilis is one of three diseases that can actually cause a rash on the palm and sole, as well as on other parts of the body. The other two, just to review, are rocky Mountain spotted fever and Coxsackie, or hand-foot-mouth disease. This will usually fade about six weeks and can range anywhere between three months to six months after infection. You can also have things like condylomalata on the genital area, mucus patches on the tongue, lymphadenopathy, and constitutional symptoms, as well as alopecia. Again, secondary syphilis is very infectious.
3: After secondary syphilis, there's a stage called latent syphilis, where really the only way that you can tell that somebody has syphilis is that they have reactive serologic testing. There are no symptoms, per se, of latent syphilis. The patients at this point are potentially infectious, but the longer time period that they've been latent, the less likely they are to be infectious.
2: Finally, tertiary syphilis can occur 3 to 15 years after initial infection. So this can be manifested as skin and bone manifestations, like gummas, which are soft tumor-like balls. They can also get neurosyphilis, which can actually occur on the earlier side. And this can be seen as syphilitic meningitis, or on the later side, like general paresis, Tabes dorsalis, which is poor balance and lightning pain in the lower extremities, um, which can occur 4 to even 25 years after infection. Finally, they can also get cardiovascular syphilis. These include things like syphilitic aortitis, which can lead to aortic aneurysms. But remember, during tertiary syphilis, patients are not usually infectious.
3: I guess ocular syphilis is the other kind of, it's not really a stage per se, but it's something that can happen as far as we understand at any time point, but that's kind of gross. So we're going to turn this back over to you.
0: Wow. Thank you for one dismissing our entire, no, okay. (laughs) 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 Wow. Thank you, Faye and Nick, for reviewing syphilis um, so comprehensively for us. If you'd like to hear more about syphilis, Faye and Nick did a whole episode on their podcast, Creogs Over Coffee. Creogs is like the O-caps for ob if you guys didn't know. And that is episode 20 for them, and I'll link that in the description below. Back to us, Andrew.
1: So we can consider talking about ocular syphilis in two approaches, one being the syphilis that you might be born with if you're having a congenital form of it. That's a little different than the acquired form of syphilis. So to start with congenital syphilis, remember that it's typically
0: transmitted to infants if the mother has either primary or secondary syphilis. Uh, Latent is much less likely to be transmitted, though it is always theoretically possible. We won't go too much into the systemic manifestations of syphilis because that would be its whole own talk, but it It can be helpful to remind you of Hutchinson's triad. The triad of congenital syphilis includes uh, Hutchinson teeth, which are small, small, widely spaced teeth with notches on them, eighth nerve deafness, and interstitial keratitis, which is the ocular manifestation that's
1: pretty characteristic of syphilis. There are also many causes of having a pigmentary retinopathy, and syphilis, particularly congenital syphilis, is one such cause. There's also a subset of inflammatory ocular problems that can also cause high intraocular pressure, and syphilis is another one of those. There is kind of a more unusual mnemonic that's already existed for a while that some people know as hot tonopens for the problems that have inflammation and increased intraocular pressure. It's a, for us, we've sort of reduced it down to HTPSS, like a website address or something, because that's, if you take out all the vowels in Hot pen, you actually get the mnemonic. H stands for herpes, T stands for toxoplasmosis, P stands for Posner Sloshman, and 1S stands for sarcoid, and the last S stands for syphilis.
0: So now we can move on to acquired syphilis. So to remind you, Acquired syphilis really can cause inflammation in any part of the eye, whether that be – it can be unilateral, bilateral. It can be granulomatous or it can be non-granulomatous. So we're just going to go from front to back, and honestly, we're going to name pretty much every structure in the eye and say it can be inflamed. Hit it, Andrew. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Um, All right. So we'll start with the most classic thing, the interstitial keratitis. The interstitial keratitis that is – pretty classic for syphilis, actually can manifest as what's known as salmon patch keratitis too. And that's not exactly like just having a patch of redness over the cornea instead of the conjunctiva. So the first thing that happens in interstitial keratitis is rapidly progressing corneal edema followed by a deep vascularization of the deep stroma just next to decimase. That vascularization gives it a salmon-colored or reddish hue to the entire cornea. And after a while, after several weeks to months, blood flow through that, that new vascularization ceases, leaving behind empty ghost vessels in the cornea. You can also get
0: what are called gumma of the iris, just like, you know, in tertiary syphilis, you can get gumma, you can get them in the iris, or you can get papules or nodules in the iris as well. And additionally, because the iris can become inflamed, you can get posterior synechiae. Remember, iris to lens adhesions.
1: Uh, syphilis can also be a cause of lens dislocation or ectopia lentis.
0: Uh, it's also one of the known causes of intermediate uveitis. So it can be a masquerader for planitis. So um, if you see someone with intermediate uveitis, i.e. they have detritus or classic snowball snowbanks um, in, in the plana, then consider syphilis on your differential. One kind of classic way that can manifest is choriole retinitis. It typically presents as a posterior placoid chorioretinitis, the and it has a very characteristic appearance where it's a plaque, and there is an arc at the edge of that plaque that's kind of like a leading edge of disease. So you'll see that there's one that's kind of more elevated, more granular than the rest of the plaque. It's usually one plaque. It can be multiple plaques. Its appearance is characteristic enough it can be considered pathognomonic for secondary syphilis. If you OCT over these plaques, you'll see that there's disruption of the ISOS junction. And if you look very carefully, you can even see um, spirochetes or inflammatory debris in the choroid because posterior plaque with due to syphilis is caused by the spirochetes entering the um, choroid retina via the choroid and causing direct inflammation of the photoreceptors. This can lead to decreased vision, of course, because of disruption of the photoreceptors, but also photopsia is because as the photoreceptors are inflamed, they can cause flashes because it's a direct photoreceptor um, inflammation. One more retinal manifestation of syphilis is focal retinitis. It can look very similar to acute retinal necrosis or progressive outer retinal necrosis, which are diseases more commonly associated with herpes viruses such as zoster or CMV. So if you see these in a patient or see findings similar to that in a patient, keep syphilis in the back of your mind as a possibility if it doesn't quite match a typical pattern of ARN or PORN.
1: Um and it can also manifest as retinal vasculitis affecting either arteries or veins. And remember, many ocular syndromes or diseases either affect one or the other, and you can distinguish vasculitis in that regard, but syphilis can do both, either one. You can also get serous retinal detachments, papillitis, and neuroretinitis. Ben, you want to talk about the differential of neuroretinitis? Yeah,
0: sure. Uh, so, uh, this is a reminder neuroretinitis is inflammation of the optic nerve as well as the retina. So, it's both. Um, you know, the classically what they say is that you'll have optic disc edema with a, quote, macular star. A macular star is just exudates left by fluid that was in the macula. Um, and they, it's kind of dries up in a star like pattern because that star is the pattern of the nerve fibers of Henle, which is that. Um, outer plexiform layer as a as it kind of exit to fovea. So if you see neuroretinitis, then you know there's a couple things on differential, including syphilis. Other things to consider are the Bartonella henselae, which is one of the main ocular manifestations of cat scratch fever. So definitely consider um, Bartonella and test for it if you see a patient with neuroretinitis. You can also test for sarcoid and Lyme, and then finally the syphilis you can't affect the um, neuro-ophthalmologic system almost in any way. It can give you individual cranial nerve palsies. It can give you an a- atypical optic neuritis. The classic teaching in medical school is you can get an Argyle Robertson pupil, which to remind you are pupils that accommodate. So they constructive accommodation, but they don't react to light. So it, th- these are patients with light near dissociation. In reality, uh, according to the text that we we reference for these podcasts, it appears to be very, very rare. But, you know, that's what's tested on boards and um, in med school. So, you know, that's a pretty that's a rundown of the um, ocular manifestations of syphilis. Basically, take a structure that you want to think about and it can get inflamed. Next, we'll just talk about the diagnosis of syphilis from an ophthalmologic standpoint, and then finally a bit about the treatment of syphilis. So Andrew, what's the first step about trying to diagnose syphilis?
1: Well, if you're ever in a position where you're thinking that you have to try sending a syphilis study, you should also be thinking about all the other things that syphilis can masquerade as. And in general, you're always safe sending things for syphilis, things for sarcoid, and things for tuberculosis, all in the same breath, just as a reflex, whenever you're thinking, hmm, inflammation in the eye, what are my go-tos? So think of sarcoid, syphilis, and TB, all in the same breath. Once you're more established that it's probably something related to maybe a sexually transmitted disease, always remember also to send for HIV studies as well. More specifically, there are a whole bunch of syphilis studies. Ben, how can we wade through this forest of acronyms, of sexually transmitted acronyms?
0: i free to step one, first aid. Um, so moving on to treatment. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I'll just broadly go over the diagnostic tests used for syphilis. There are non treponemal tests. Those are VDRL and RPR. And then there's tests that are treponemal tests, and that's FTA, ABS. So to categorize those two, so VDRL RPR, so VDRL and RPR, uh, again, your non-treponemal tests, those tests will increase with disease activity, and then the, the levels reported by those tests will decrease as the disease is treated or if it becomes latent, so basically as the disease becomes less active. Hence, VDRL and RPR are useful for following disease activity. But however, it's important to know that there's a lot of things that can cause false positives in VDRL. Initially, I was going to list out all those things, but the list got so long that I just figured it was worth just saying that Almost, a huge number of diseases can cause false positives. So you can't rely on that. In contrast, trypanemal tests, with the main one being FTA-ABS, becomes positive only after someone has entered the second stage of syphilis, but then remains positive. False positives are much rarer, rarer in FTA ABS, but can occur in cases where a patient has another spirochete. So that includes Lyme and leptospirosis. Um, if they have an autoimmune disease, malaria or leprosy. So those four are things to think about that can mimic, that can cause a false positive in FTA ABS. If it helps you to remember the difference between the two, I remember that VDRL vanishes, so if it's treated, the levels will go down, whereas FTA is fixed. So VDRL vanishes, FTA is fixed. And that helps you remember how each level um, will appear at different time courses in the patient's disease. So besides drawing blood for these tests, Andrew, if someone... You know, if you see someone diagnosed them with some ocular manifestation of syphilis, is there anything else you have to do besides draw blood?
1: If you have ocular syphilis, remember that counts as neurosyphilis. Uh, we have to consider the eyes as an extension of the CNS. So your diagnostic testing needs to extend down to the spinal cord and its fluid too. So rope in your friendliest neurologist and ask them to poke needles into people's backs.
0: Right. So any um, patient with syphilitic uveitis needs to be treated as if they have neurosyphilis. And that leads us into the treatment of syphilis. So because they need to be treated as if they have neurosyphilis, you know, IM penicillin is just not enough. They need 10 to 14 days of IV penicillin, which required mission and medicine slash ID co-management. Just to come back to congenital syphilis, that also needs to be treated for around 10 days. Um, but in that case, IV or IM is acceptable for, for, um,
1: for congenital syphilis. Ben, what if my syphilitic patient is allergic to penicillin?
0: So there are no proven alternatives for penicillin in treatment of syphilis. So if a patient is allergic, the recommendation and um, the standard of care is to desensitize them to penicillin and treat them with penicillin. Another thing to think about when you're treating syphilis is that you have to monitor them pretty closely because you have to observe for a jarisch hirschheimer reaction. To remind you from medical school days, this is an intense hypersensitivity response to the antigens produced by the uh, treponeme as the spirochetes die during the first 24 or so hours of treatment. Uh, as a result, they can have increased inflammatory response so it can look almost like the disease is worsening, and that may require local or systemic steroids. You know, in some cases, you can use eye drops to treat them. Um, you may require more aggressive steroids or, or systemic steroids.
1: Now, as soon as you've diagnosed syphilis, pat yourself on the back, you've found the elusive masquerade. You should feel proud because you've pinned down a pretty elusive disease. Then you have to alert local authorities because this is a notifiable disease local governments and local um, health agencies really would like to know if syphilis is popping up in their communities. So let them know, and then you have to identify your patient's sexual partners and then talk with them about trying to get them treated as well.
0: That's all we have for the super fun topic of ocular syphilis. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at eyes4ears with the number four.
1: Or you can check out our website, which is eyes4ears.net with the word for.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, it really helps us if you give us a rating and review on iTunes. And one more big thank you to Faye Kai and Nick Burns of the podcast Kriogs Over Coffee. Again, if you know people who are into ob or who are doing ob and want a podcast that reviews high-yield OB topics in quick 10 to 15-minute chunks then we highly recommend Creogs Over Coffee to them. Creogs Over Coffee really helped us when we were starting our podcast um, and gave us a lot of advice and tips on how to make ours. So if you want the best in obi review, we highly recommend them. And thank you to our listeners for supporting us just by listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.